Well, the, uh, the sights and sounds in our auditorium this morning are much different today than I would have expected on a typical Easter Sunday. I am standing in front of a computer, facing a bunch of empty pews instead of looking at a bunch of smiling faces. There are no families sitting together, no girls in their pretty Easter dresses, no boys fidgeting with a tie their parents made them wear, no choir, uh, choir behind me, no musicians uh, moving around preparing for special music. There's no deep bass voices singing up from the grave he arose. I guess we did hear Brother Richard singing that earlier. We didn't hear Dr. Beard sing it. We didn't get to hear Brother Rogers' deep voice sing that and some of these other men who have just such strong, powerful voices. There's a lot of emotional things uh, for us about Easter Sunday. But thankfully, the, the absence of some of those things that may be emotional for us, the absence of those things does not change the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. The absence of those things does not change the fact that he has power over death and that he is worthy of our worship. Last Sunday, I reminded you that, that in spite of the unrest and the rapid changes in our world that we're going through right now, there are two unchangeable truths that should always bring you peace. The first truth is that Jesus Christ died for you. And we looked at John's record of his death last week. We, we, we saw Jesus endure the, the brutal scourging, the painful mockery, and finally the humiliation and embarrassment of the cross. He was innocent, he was sinless, he was perfect, and yet he gave up his life for you. And nothing that happens in this world can ever change that fact. But as wonderful as that truth is, had Jesus Christ remained dead, then it wouldn't matter one bit. The Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth that if Jesus were not resurrected, then our preaching is vain, our faith is vain, we are lying about God, we are still in our sins, we're guilty, we're unforgiven. He said that believers who have died have simply perished with no hope, and he said, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so the second unchangeable truth that should always bring you peace is that Jesus Christ is alive today. Without the resurrection, there's no reason for us to exist as a church or really any one of us to exist at all for that matter. There's no reason for us to meet together and worship when life is easy, when our habits and our routines are simple. And there's definitely no reason to make all these extra efforts when they're not. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would simply be living out our days until we face the ultimate consequence of our sin in a hell prepared for the devil and his angels. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would all die physically and then die forever spiritually. But thank God he sent us a Savior who has power over death, 
both physically and spiritually. And absolutely nothing can ever change that. This morning we're going to look in John chapter 11. And we're going to see a time when Jesus demonstrated his power over death. And we're very near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry when we come to John chapter 11. And yet, even though the hour is late for Jesus, he's going to offer one of the most powerful signs of who he is when he raises a man named Lazarus from the grave. Let's look at John chapter 11 and read with me the first six verses. John chapter 11, verse 1 through 6. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had therefore heard that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Did you notice how Jesus interpreted these sad circumstances in verse 4? Lazarus is so ill that his sisters Martha and Mary feel the need to let Jesus know, sort of calling in the family, so to speak. Now, of course, Jesus already knew that Lazarus was sick. He is omniscient. And he even knows the future and is completely aware that Lazarus will die. But he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. But how could Jesus possibly and honestly say that, that Lazarus, that this sickness was not unto death when he knew that Lazarus would indeed die? Well, Jesus understood the big picture. He knew that the goal, the purpose, or the end result of this sickness was not going to be the final death of Lazarus because he would go to Bethany and raise Lazarus from the grave. And so this sickness, the goal, the purpose, the end result would not be death, but it would be God's glory. And so this situation afforded Jesus a unique opportunity to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was the Christ that he is the Son of God, and, and nothing and no one brings God more glory than when people realize that Jesus is the Christ. Before we move on, though, it's very important for us to apply this to ourselves, especially during the times we're facing now. Do we interpret circumstances like Jesus did? Do we view things, even trials, as opportunities for God's glory to shine forth. You know, if God could only receive glory when our lives are great, he wouldn't be much of a God. But the truth is, God is such a great God that his glory can shine just as bright, if not brighter, when we face dark times. Because during those dark times, God is afforded with an opportunity to prove himself to prove his grace is sufficient, to prove his peace passes all understanding, to prove that he can use those times for our growth and our maturation, and so much more. Isn't that something we learned recently in our study of James? If we will respond to trials joyfully, 
then God will use them for our growth and our maturation and our benefit, which will in turn bring him glory as we serve him better and as we lack nothing in our service. Even in these very strange times we're facing now, be confident that God can still use these times for his glory. And we can, we can do that in our lives if we will continue to live for him and love one another and spread the gospel and do the things that scripture commands us to do. Instead of bemoaning the tough time, perhaps look at it as an opportunity to show the hope you have to others when they're scared, to show the love you have for others when they're being selfish, to help someone in need. All of those things brings God glory. And so Jesus interpreted these, interpreted these sad circumstances with God's glory in mind, and that's how we should always interpret circumstances in our lives, is how can this bring God glory? So Jesus is not distraught even in the face of extreme sickness. He's confident that God's glory will be revealed. And then we, we read in verse 5, as if we didn't already know this, John says that Jesus loves this family. And that's almost funny to us because it is so obvious that, of course, Jesus loved these people. He's Jesus. But the understanding that Jesus loves these people makes verse 6 seems very strange, doesn't it? Because we're told in verse 5 that Jesus loved this family, and so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, verse 6 says he didn't do anything. He did nothing for two days. That doesn't sound very loving, does it? Don't forget this. But after two days, Jesus knew it was time to go to Bethany. So let's jump back into the story, and let's read verse 7 through 16 together. Verse 7 through 16. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples saying to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Even the religious leaders, uh, even though the religious leaders in Judea were, were seeking ways to kill Jesus, he was determined to do the Father's will, which he knew at this time was now to go to Bethany. He would walk in the light. He would, he would walk during the day while he had the opportunity and perhaps these words about walking in the light and, and taking advantage of that opportunity while you have it, 
Perhaps the disciples would remember these words after Jesus was gone, and they would be encouraged not to be afraid to obey God, even though there might be men who seek to harm them. And didn't one of the disciples say in the book of Acts, we ought to obey God rather than men? And so they went to Bethany, or they would go to Bethany. And Jesus said that, guys, Lazarus is asleep, and I'm going to go wake him up. And now it probably doesn't surprise us that the disciples don't get this. Jesus' words go right over their heads, and they think, Lord, if, if he's asleep, that's good. He needs his rest. The worst thing we could do is go there and wake him up. He needs his rest. So Jesus had to just tell them plainly, guys, Lazarus is dead. Now think about this for a second. The disciples should have known right then what Jesus intended on doing. They should have known right then that Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the grave. Because if sleep meant death, but Jesus said he would wake him up, is he going to resurrect him? They should have been excited to go see this miracle. But they don't get it. And Thomas's words in verse 16 are far from excitement when Thomas says, Let us also go that we may die with him. I love what one author, uh, how he describes Thomas's words here. He called them pessimistic courage. You know, there's, there's courage in that, hey, let's go with him. But there's a lot of pes uh, pessimism there. And, you know, we're going to die too. The Jews want to kill Jesus. And if we go back to Judea, we, we kind of know what's going to happen. But we'll go with him. They don't understand everything just yet. But eventually they will, and eventually this will all strengthen their belief in Jesus. And Jesus said that in verse 15. He said, I'm glad that we weren't there to the intent that you may believe. You know, God can use tough times to strengthen your belief in him, to help you trust in him more. And he's going to do that for the disciples and for others in this story as well. So let's travel with Jesus and his disciples to Bethany. Let's look at verse 17 through 27, and we'll read a very famous conversation between Jesus and Martha. Verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. That's about two miles. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. I'll remind you of verse 17 in a moment. 
But for now, I'll just say that even though verse 17 doesn't sound like much, it's one of the most important verses in the entire story. When Jesus arrives at Bethany uh, to Lazarus' house, he has already been dead four days. And Jesus is just now showing up. But when Martha heard Jesus was nearing them, she went out to meet him. And, you know, some people really scold Martha for her words to Jesus. They, they really rebuke her for telling Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, you wouldn't have died. Now, I find that very weak and unreasonable. Martha is grieving over the loss of her brother. And yet throughout this whole scene we read, she still clings to her faith in Jesus she still has hope and rest in God's promises, and she seems to even have her, what we would call her composure about her as well. Even when Jesus said, your brother will rise again, she affirmed her belief in the resurrection in verse 24. And I think it's unreasonable for us to rebuke her that she didn't understand that Jesus meant in a matter of moments Lazarus would rise again. She still, in the face of death, believed in the power and the hope of the resurrection of God's children one day in the future. She grieved, but she was one of these people who grieved with hope. Death had not shaken her faith or her hope. But Jesus would use this to explain this resurrection that she hoped in in a much greater depth than she had ever known before. Let's read verse 25 and 26 again. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? When Jesus said this statement to, to Martha, he was extremely emphatic, extremely specific, and extremely exclusive with his statement. I myself am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection and life do not exist without or apart from Jesus Christ, period. Jesus taught Martha that the resurrection is not just some day that we look forward to in the future. It's not just some process that we wait for. The resurrection is a person that we believe in. The only reason resurrection exists is because Jesus Christ. Martha believed in and hoped for a resurrection one day, and she was right. But Jesus taught her that the very power behind that, the very reason for it, the very reason she could have any hope, the very resurrection itself was standing right there with her that day. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And if you believe in him while you have physical life, while you have the opportunity then physical death does not end your life. Repentance and faith in Christ gives you eternal life. Jesus asked Martha if she believed that, and she gave her great answer in verse 27. 
affirming her belief that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God that the Father would send to this world. This is an amazing dialogue between Jesus and Martha. And then Martha leaves. And let's read verse 28 through 38. Martha will leave and she'll go tell Mary that Jesus is on his way and wants to talk to her. And I want you to notice as we read these verses the huge contrast between the scene between Martha and Jesus and Mary and Jesus. Look at verse 28. When she had said, uh, when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, they followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. This scene with Mary and the Jews... Uh, that followed her is in stark contrast to the scene we just saw with Martha. With Mary and the Jews, we, we see this cascade of emotions just continually build. Mary falls at Jesus' feet, just, just falls to the ground. Uh, John said that she and the Jews were weeping. And this, this word weeping in verse 33 is, is a very powerful word. It means much more than just crying or shedding tears. It's stronger than that. It's the word that Luke used when uh, he, he described how Peter denied Christ three times. And when the rooster crowed, Peter and Jesus looked at each other. And Peter remembered that prophecy that Jesus made that he would deny him. And Luke says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. The idea of this word weep has to do with, with weeping or wailing in a very loud manner. The emphasis is on how loud it is. One, uh, one Lexicon even says that it implies not only the shedding of tears, but also every external expression of grief. So here, here is the scene. Mary and the Jews, they were crying. They were sobbing. They were shouting. They were groaning. They were moaning. They were writhing. They were ripping their clothes, perhaps. They were doing anything that could show their remorse, their sorrow. And John describes this as an ongoing, continual thing. There was no end in sight to this constant shouting and weeping and sorrow. And I know this was a Near Eastern funeral, and I know they grieve different than Americans do, but even for them, this seems to be over the top. And it's in such contrast with Martha. Because Martha gave us this picture of, of composed sorrow, of grief with hope. 
I mean, when she came to Jesus, she and Jesus had an in-depth conversation about theology, about the resurrection. Jesus taught her about the resurrection. And I don't mean at all to pick on Mary, because people do grieve differently. But this whole scene surrounding Mary and the Jews is so different from Martha. And in fact, the whole thing bothered Jesus. We're told in verse 33 that he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And the word groan here is a very strong word that carries deep emotion, even to the point of anger and indignation. Jesus is angry. He's troubled, John says. And the idea of the word troubled has the idea of being agitated or shaken up or stirred up. So here Jesus has come to Bethany, and when he sees this scene of Mary and the Jews continually weeping and wailing and shouting, he's angered and agitated by this. And I believe that helps us understand verse 35 when John wrote, Jesus wept which obviously this is one of, the, one of the most famous verses in the Bible because of its brevity. It is the shortest verse in the Bible. It's the easiest verse to memorize. If you've never learned a verse of the Bible, you can start with this one and have it learned in no time. But it's often misinterpreted. First of all, the word that John used to describe Jesus' weeping is a different Greek word than he used to describe the weeping of Mary and the crowds. This word that, that applied to Jesus simply refers to shedding tears. It does not imply wailing or shouting or ripping clothes or anything uncontrollable like that whatsoever. John also does not present this as a continual thing. He just quite simply says Jesus shed tears. But why? Well, if you look in verse 36, the Jews thought that it was because his friend died. Because he had lost a loved one. Oh, look how you loved him. And there's many people who still believe that today. You can find commentaries who think that, uh, that Jesus cried because his friend had died. Or you can find others who think that perhaps Jesus was saddened by the grief that he saw, that he was sort of weeping with those who weep. And there may have been some of that, but I don't believe that was the main point. I believe Jesus wept as a response to his groaning, and his agitation over the hopelessness that people seem to be showing. Notice in verse 37 that they doubted his power. They said, could not this man who, who opened the eyes of a blind man kept his friend from dying? After all Jesus had done throughout his ministry, they still doubted his power. And if he healed the blind man, couldn't he have kept this funeral from happening? I don't believe Jesus shed tears because his friend died or because people were sad. He's about to bring Lazarus back to life anyway. I've heard some say that he was sad to bring Lazarus out of paradise back to this sinful world, and that makes even less sense. Because he said earlier to the disciples that this whole thing would be for God's glory and for their belief. So I don't think Jesus would weep because God's glory was about to be shown or because people's belief in him would be strengthened. It makes no sense. 
Jesus wept and he groaned and he was troubled because of the doubt and the distrust and the whole uncontrollable scene that lay at his feet. The resurrection and the life was standing in their midst and they doubted his power over death. They doubted his power over the grave. And notice in verse 38, immediately after their doubt, we're told that he groaned again. This, this deep emotional anger surfaces again when they doubt him. Well, by this time they had made it to the tomb. So let's read verse 39 through 44. In verse 39, we read, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he has been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. We're reminded of verse 17 by Martha's words here in verse, uh, verse 39. Lazarus has now been dead four days. And the reason why we're told about this twice and the reason why it's so important in this story is because of a Jewish belief about death. See, the Jews had a tradition. And, and let me emphasize that word tradition. It was not true, but they had a tradition that stated that after someone died, the person's spirit sort of hovered over the corpse for three days, uh, sort of attempting to re-energize the body, attempting to re-enter it. But on the fourth day, when the body would begin to change, when there would uh, start to be some signs of decomposition, the spirit would depart. And the Jews believed that at that point, that after three days, death was irreversible. And so in the mind of a Jew, Lazarus is irreversibly dead. However, the Jews also had a traditional belief that when the Messiah came, he would have the power to raise someone back to life who had been dead longer than three days. And this would be a very special miracle in the, uh, to the Jews it would give indisputable proof as to the identity of their true Messiah. Now, with all that in mind, do you remember that Jesus waited two days before he came to Bethany? Jesus loved that family, and so he waited two days. That was no accident. That was not Jesus um, not caring. That was Jesus 
carefully and strategically planning this out so that he would have the opportunity to give life to someone who was irreversibly dead, to offer indisputable proof of his power and his identity as the Messiah and to show the great glory of God. He loved that family, so he waited, and that family has this amazing opportunity to be involved in this miracle of miracles. And he did it. After Jesus prayed to the Father, Jesus loudly cries for Lazarus to come forth. And I love that there is no suspense between verse 43 and verse 44. There's no awkward silence wondering if Lazarus is going to come out of the grave. There's no hush falling over the crowd. Jesus commanded a dead person to come out of the grave, and he did. He came out. Indisputable proof that Jesus is the Messiah and that he has power over death. He is the resurrection and the life. If you were there that day, this amazing display may have convinced you and convicted you to believe in Jesus. It did many people, but not everyone. Let's read verse 45 through 53, and let's see how this story plays out and how it ends. Verse 45, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. Did you notice in verse 47 that the religious leaders do not deny his power? They do not deny that miracles are happening. They cannot refute them. They simply refuse to believe. This miracle in particular had far too many witnesses, and Lazarus became this walking, talking, living, breathing proof of Jesus' power over death and the fact that he is the Messiah. In fact, Lazarus became such a powerful sign that in chapter 12 of John, the chief priests consult with each other to kill Lazarus, not just Jesus. They want to kill both of them because Lazarus is such a sign to Jesus' power. They've got to get rid of him too. They don't deny the miracles. They just deny their Lord. They felt that if something's not done, everyone's going to believe on him. And Rome's going to come, and we're going to lose all this stuff, guys. We're going to lose our nation. We're going to lose our place. And so they plotted 
all the more to kill him. Which, think about this. That's ironic because Jesus proved that death cannot stop him. They're plotting to put to death a man who is more powerful than death, plotting to kill the resurrection and the life. How is that going to turn out? I trust that you know how the story ends. Jesus did die. Not so much because their plot worked, but because he laid down his life. His life wasn't taken, it was given. He laid his life down as a sacrifice for you. That's one of those unchangeable truths that should always bring you peace. Jesus did die for you. But on the third day, Jesus Christ triumphantly walked out of that grave, alive forevermore, securing our redemption, securing our justification before God the Father, proving once more and once for all that he is more powerful than death. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And if you've trusted in him, that unchangeable truth should bring you peace no matter what this world throws at you. You know, when it comes to spiritual life, we are all like Lazarus. Every single one of us is four days dead, irreversibly dead in our sins. We are hopeless. We are powerless. We are bound up in the grave. There's not one thing we can do to change it. There are not a billion things we can do to change that. But Jesus Christ can because he has power over death physically and spiritually. Jesus Christ can call a dead sinner out of the grave and give him and give her life. If you repent and you trust in him, you'll never die spiritually. Even when death's cold grip clutches you physically and you take your last breath, you'll wake up in the presence of God and then when Jesus Christ returns to this earth, he will call your lifeless body out of the grave and change it, transform it into a glorified, immortal body just like his. If you are listening this morning, if you are dead in your sins, then ask Jesus Christ to forgive you and give you life this morning. He's the only one who can raise you. And if you are saved, live your life no matter what is going on, whether it be sickness, whether it be trials, whether it even be the, the approaching of physical death. Live your life so that God will receive glory from whatever you're going through. You know, the sickness and the death of Lazarus brought God glory. It convicted many people to believe in Jesus. What more could a believer in Christ ever ask for out of his or her life than to, than to live a life or die death that brought God glory and helped other people believe in Jesus Christ?
what an honor Lazarus had to die for the glory of Christ. May we live and may we die for the glory of our great God who will never let us truly die. He is the resurrection and the life. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for John's great gospel. We thank you for all the blessings in our lives, Lord. Most of all, though, we thank you for the fact that your son died for us and the fact that he has power over death and that he was resurrected. And God, use those two unchangeable truths to anchor us during this tough time and to give us hope and to give us peace and give us confidence in you. Help us to be witnesses and, and bright lights during this time, Lord, and use us like you used Lazarus and like you used Mary and Martha and that family. And whether we are going through great times or tragic times, find a way to bring glory to yourself through us as we serve you. God, we thank you for Jesus. We pray for anyone who is lost that they would repent and trust him and be saved before it's too late. And on this day, as we think of your resurrection, we, we long for Christ's return when he will call believers out of the grave and those who are alive will meet him in the air and so we shall ever be with the Lord. Help us to comfort one another with these words. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.